As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I think we read the first book together, and then I think we didn't read anything else together the rest of the year. Yeah, because I couldn't get through the first book we picked, and, <laughs> and then I think we gave up. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 247. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest, or in today's case, two guests. But first, I want to tell you about our fall book preview. Readers, between the regular slate of new releases and the used-to-be spring-summer titles whose releases were pushed back due to COVID, this fall is shaping up to be an amazing season for new books. And I've got an amazing opportunity for you to get in on the bookish excitement. On September 1st, I'm hosting a fall book preview live for our book lover members of the What Should I Read Next Patreon community. Parties like this are so much fun as I get to share books I've read and loved, books I can't wait to read, and some titles the book world is a buzz about for the season to come. All in all, we'll preview 42 books so you can pre-order some titles, place your library holds, and load up your TBR for the cooler nights to come. This year, I'm thrilled that we're putting something new in your hands. For the first time, we're creating a Fall Book Preview magazine in conjunction with our online event. It's big, it's beautiful, it's packed with books. Our Fall Book Preview event and magazine are exclusively for members of our Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club and our What Should I Read Next Patreon members at the book lover level. We'd love to have you join our podcast community as a supporting member. Go to patreon.com slash what should I read next and become a member today. While you're there, explore the super secret spreadsheet vault with all the books I've recommended from each episode, check out our behind the scenes content, and download some of the over 60 bonus episodes waiting for you, ready to listen to right now, including the new episode where I share my own mid-year book freakout. Become a member today at patreon.com slash what should I read next and mark your calendars for September 1st. Readers, it's going to be great. Around here, we talk a lot about the balance between reading as a solitary act and reading as a bridge that connects us with other readers. Today's guests, Emma Gorin and Dinah Fay, have been friends since ninth grade. That's over 20 years. They haven't always kept in great touch, but they love that books have always given them an easy way to reconnect. Emma and Dinah come to me today with the explicit goal of connecting over a great read that they'll both enjoy which, for such long-term friends, is a bit of a challenge, because while they both love to read, their reading tastes are, as you'll hear, quite different. With two guests today, we cover a lot. English class in the age of COVID-19, a book-gifting tradition, queer YA romances, and rich audiobook experiences. We also cover a lot of titles. Be sure to visit the show notes page to see the full list of books discussed today at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 247. We've got a transcript available there as well, if that's helpful to you. Readers, let's get to it. Emma and Dinah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Oh, well, it is a pleasure. Thanks for letting me crash the best friend party. (laughs) Seriously, at What Should I Read Next headquarters, when we read your submission, we all went, oh. We love how you all have been bonding over books since the ninth grade. I'd love to hear more about that. You know, we had class together. We didn't really know each other yet. There was this girl in my science class and she was wearing this like pithy 
sweatshirt about cat hair. Like it was like no outfit is complete without cat hair. And I was like, who is this person? I have to meet her. And then it quickly became apparent that we had a lot of the same interests, including books. And we found out that we both loved The Princess Bride, the book, in addition to the movie. And that was one of the first books we ever bonded over. Now, when you're a freshman in high school, do you even remember now how that came up in conversation? Oh, I'm sure one of us made a super corny joke about it. (laughs) But I I would say that there were not all that many people who shared all of our interests at at our high school. So in retrospect, unsurprising that we found each other there. Have books been a part of your relationship from the beginning? Absolutely. And I think, I think more importantly, they've been something that has, we've been, we've been friends for what I'm like going on 20 years now, something like that. In a friendship that long times when we were closer and times when we've drifted apart and books, I think have consistently been a bridge that we can use to start talking again when we have fallen out of touch and, and just snap back into the friendship we've always had. I would say that's pretty true. I also think that like both of us, like independently from each other, we're both such readers. Books have always been a huge part of my life. I know books have always been a huge part of Dinah's life. And so it was just kind of natural that we would end up at different points in time having books be a central theme in our friendship. Okay. I'm not sure what to ask you exactly, but I'd love to hear about Dinah's birthday book mail tradition for you, Emma. I don't even know when it started. It's been going on for... It started when you were in Tampa. Did it really? Has it been going on? I was going to say it's been going on at least 10 years. What Do you remember the first book you ever sent me? Absolutely not. I have no idea. <laughs> it was, I, I want to say it was By Nightfall, Michael Cunningham. And I had kind of gotten into a reading slump. I hadn't really been reading that much. And you sent it to me and I just tore through it. I couldn't believe it. It was so beautiful. And then I guess for the next few years, you sent me every time he published a new book, you would send it to me for my birthday. And then it's kind of diverged into your favorite book of the past year, or I don't know, you can talk about it because you're the one picking them. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's quite my my favorite of the past year, but it, it's the one that I read that I thought, I think Emma would get something out of this. Because I've had the pleasure of being able to go back to graduate school. I uh, got my MFA a few years ago and had an opportunity to spend a lot more of my time reading. As an English teacher, there's like, there's nothing better in the world than sharing the wealth when you've read some really great stuff. Nothing greater. I like the way you put that. Now, one might assume that having bonded over books for, you said, going on 20 years now, you must have similar tastes. And yet, Emma made it very clear that would not be accurate. True. If only because I went to school for poetry and read a lot of poetry, and I think that the fiction and nonfiction that I read tends toward that kind of lyrical vein, and I don't know that Emma has the same taste as that. It's strange because every so often we'll grab onto an author or a book that we have in common. Most recently, we both really got into Sally Rooney, Dinah Sent Me, her first book, Conversations with Friends. And then we both got into that. And then we both read Normal People together and liked it. But interestingly enough, I liked Conversations with Friends better. And Dinah, didn't you like Normal People better? Yeah. But we don't always find a lot of common ground in our books. That's interesting. Okay, well, Emma, I don't know if you remembered how you put it, so I'll read it to you. Emma reads via audiobook. Dinah reads via her Kindle. Emma reads a lot of romance. Dinah, a lot of science fiction. We both also read literary fiction, but even there, our tastes don't generally overlap. It's pretty true. We have a Venn diagram, but it's a it's a skinny little sliver. It's a super rich little sliver, but if you were to put our Goodreads side by side, you would not think these are two people who read together. Well, something we're always saying on the show is you can have a wonderful conversation about a book, even if... And maybe especially if one of you really, really disliked it. Absolutely. (laughs) I don't even think that, I don't even think that's the problem. I just think generally we just don't even pick up the same books unless we try to do it intentionally, which we always say we're going to do and then don't do. (laughs) I remember going into 2018, we decided we were going to do the modern Mrs. Darcy reading challenge and had even mapped out like books for the year. 
And I think we read the first book together. And then I think we didn't read anything else together the rest of the year. Yeah, because I couldn't get through the first book we picked. And, <laughs> and then I think we gave up. What was it? Do you remember? It was Furiously Happy. No, we picked, we switched to um, Frederick Bachman's book. Okay, I couldn't finish either of those. (laughs) But I was ugly crying at that one about the old man, the grumpy old man. I forget the name of it. You talked about it on your podcast before. A Man Called Eva? Yes, that's the one. And I really liked it and Tina really didn't. That whole project of doing the reading challenge together kind of disintegrated. We came back together after we both read Heating and Cooling separately, independently from each other, and then abandoned the idea of trying to do a reading challenge together. Oh, wow. So now I'm nervous. More nervous than I was before, because what you said is you want to find more books to read together. And that's what we're going to try to do today. But I know it can be done. (laughs) Because I send Emma books every year, and she doesn't read all of them. Or if she does, then she, (laughs) she spares me her judgments on the ones that she doesn't like. But every year there's at least one that I send her and she reads. Oh, thank you for holding out that hope to me, Dinah. Today, we're going to get into the books you love individually. I am really interested in hearing more about this super rich but tiny sliver on the Venn diagram and hopefully recommend three titles that you may have a shot at reading and enjoying next together. I'd love to dive into your books if y'all are ready. Oh, sure. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so y'all know how this works. You're going to each tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately, and we'll talk about what you may enjoy reading next together. Emma, let's hear about your books first. First, where where are you in the world and what do you do? Where am I in the world? Right now, I'm in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. In general, I am a trained singer and teach a lot of music lessons and musical theater type classes. Right now, due to COVID-19, I'm not doing very much of anything. A lot of the work opportunities have been suspended for now. I've been doing a lot of contract work, and uh, right now there just aren't a lot of contracts, which means I have been spending a lot of time reading every available romance novel on Libby, but we'll get to that more later. That's the story. It's a familiar one, sadly. It's strange because, you know, having kind of pursued a field that was a long shot to begin with, it didn't really ever occur to me that it would just evaporate and what had been my industry is now just a giant void. But there's a lot of camaraderie in that because I know I'm not the only one experiencing it. I have a a strong tribe of other kind of artist types that are experiencing it with with me. I'm not alone and um, we're all kind of excited to see what unfolds. Uh, We're cheering you on and we can't wait for you to be back doing what you're doing. In the meantime, thank goodness for Libby. (laughs) Exactly. It's a small consolation, but we'll take it. So Emma, how did you choose your books today? Due to the nature of when I was doing all this contract work, I spent a lot of time in the car. And because I was teaching a lot of music lessons and music classes, I had stopped listening to music in the car. And so there came audiobooks. I had never really listened to audiobooks or books on tape until about two or three years ago. And I wanted to read more. And I was spending hours a day in the car. And I thought this was a perfect opportunity to do that. And so I think one day I just Googled best audiobooks and kind of went from there. And so I picked the books today based on like some of my favorite three audiobooks I've listened to in the past few years. Is that your preferred means of reading right now? Well, no, right now I'm tending to read more on my Kindle because I'm not going as many places. So I don't have that much time. I'm not spending as much time in the car. But I find that I can dive into maybe meatier books on audio, whereas when I'm reading on Kindle, they tend to be a little bit lighter type books. Like I tried reading The Dutch House and I could Mm -hmm. not, I couldn't even get into it. And then as soon as I put on Tom Hanks, I was sold. (laughs) So what's different? Are you able to articulate that? Is it finding your way into the story? You know, I'm picky about narrators. I guess that's from being a trained singer. Like they have to be like an engaging performer. 
of audiobooks, but if they are, then then it grabs me. But there, I don't know if there's like a formula to what grabs me. Maybe you'll be able to figure out the formula when I get into my books. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear what you picked. Emma, tell me about the first book you love. Um, the first book I love is Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. It was one of the first audiobooks that I would sit in my car in the driveway after I had gotten home because I just didn't want to stop listening to it. It was so engaging. The first half of the book is from the husband's point of view. And then the second half is the wife's point of view. And there were two different narrators, which I thought was really interesting. And the twists at the end when you hear her side of the marriage. I was sitting, I remember just sitting in my car in the driveway with like my mouth open, can't believe what's <laughs> happening. I have to go inside. I can't get out of the car. And I just remember being so drawn into that book. Did you realize that it was told from two different perspectives when you when you began reading it? I don't know if I had seen it on a list or when it came out, it was one of those books that was just kind of everywhere. Everybody was reading it. Everybody was talking about it. I don't know if it was on a list for best audiobooks or whatever, but I, I just, I actually had no idea what it was about when I started listening to it. Then once it became clear that it was about theater and stuff that kind of parallels my own personal interests, I was like, oh, I'll just give it a try. I was just curious because I didn't know anything about this book when I picked it up and was flabbergasted at part two, when all of a sudden you start hearing, I think uh, Lotto goes first, doesn't he? The husband tells his story first. He does. I had no idea it was coming. Yeah, I was flabbergasted. And listeners, if you don't know this story, what happens is you hear the husband's perspective. And then at the halfway point when the wife takes over the story and starts telling you 20 years worth of events from her perspective, he didn't know as much as he thought he knew about his relationship. It was so interesting. It's funny what we remember about books, but I'd forgotten that it was set in the theater and I love that you connected with it on that level too. Emma, what did you choose for your second favorite? Daisy Jones and the Six. I had heard about it on the podcast. And then when I heard it was a full cast audio, I decided to listen to it. And I just tore through it. Absolutely loved it. The cast was brilliant. Whenever anybody's like, yeah, you know, I started reading it and I didn't know. And I was like, you've got to listen to it on audio. It's a full cast audio. It's amazing. There's stars. It's a masterpiece. You'll love it. And I just can't stop talking about how much I recommend it to everybody, basically, on audio because it was so good. I read that in print before it came out. and But this is one of the books I'm thinking of rereading because I've heard so many readers echo what you said, that it's just next level on audio. And it does really have like some stars. Jennifer Beals and Benjamin Brad, isn't it? Yes. The format of the book is in an interview format. And so it's, it's interesting that every character being interviewed has a different voice. It just makes it really come to life. It's very colorful that way. Um, I kept waiting for them to play the, the music that the band played. And then I realized that it's not real songs. So I was never going to hear them. That was my only disappointing thing. I was like, when, when are we going to hear that song that, that made them famous? Oh, right. That song doesn't exist. So it's never going to get played. It's being adapted, I think for Netflix. So I'm not hundred percent sure about the platform. That was my first thought. Like pity the poor soul who has to write this music, right. like this world changing music that now they're, I mean, some, somebody has to write it now, but I'm so curious to see how they do it. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of like almost famous kind of things I tend to like anyway. So I, mm -hmm. re I really enjoyed it. What did you choose for your final favorite, Emma? I chose Queenie. I have no idea how this book even came into my life. I was trying to remember why I picked it up and I couldn't. I listened to it and it was unbelievable. I think when books are set in another country and or have dialects. Sometimes it's easier for me to get into the world of the book if I can hear a narrator because then I can just hear what it's supposed to sound like. It's also kind of like how I love when authors narrate their own memoirs because I hear how they wanted it to sound, if that makes any sense. But I loved Queenie. 
Queenie's about a 25-year-old girl who just is trying to figure out her place in the world. She is having a breakup. She's trying to figure out her place at this newspaper she works at. It's funny. It's also heartbreaking. She deals with a lot of grief, deals with a lot of issues of race, sexuality, and I was just blown away by it. I have this book on my shelf. I've been thinking about reading it in print, but taught me into the audiobook version. Well, Queenie has all these girlfriends that surround her when she's um, in this breakup and they try to lift her up. And what the narrator does so well is she takes on different voices and accents for all of Queenie's girlfriends. A lot of the people in the book are Jamaican British and it's a very particular accent that she does really well. And there's some dialects and slang that I wouldn't have necessarily maybe been able to access on my own. And so I thought she did a really good job of just making the story come to life. Well, that sounds really good to me because I totally relate to what you said about loving a book where the audiobook is done by a narrator who can accurately perform the accent and the culture you're reading about. So Emma, that's a nice picture of books you loved. Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff, Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid, and Queenie by Candace Carey Williams. Dinah, I can't wait to hear now what you chose for your favorites. First of all, could you tell us a little bit about where you are and what your life is like there? Well, I am coming to you live from my bedroom in Brooklyn, New York, which is the same place that I have been remote teaching from for the past three months. I'm an English teacher at a, a public high school in Brooklyn, New York. And, you know, normally that would mean I have my beloved classroom that's just full of bookshelves of books that I get to, to share with kids. But, you know, recently it means I try and make, uh, I don't know, make reading seem really fun through a tiny box that other people will watch through their own tiny boxes. <laughs> How's that going? Man, it's really hard. It's really hard. Can you tell me a little more about that? It's really difficult because things that are important to me under normal circumstances, none of the regular rules apply. And I, I know that that because it applies to my own reading life. And so it must be applying to my kids too. I found it very difficult to concentrate on the kind of books that I usually like to read. And then I can imagine being a teenager who is not particularly fond of reading in the first place and then being asked to slog through a novel when there's just so much on all of our minds seems impossible. So I've gone in a very different direction with what I'm recommending to my kids that that feels important to read, which is much more current events focused. I can only imagine how difficult that is. I'm just seeing it from the perspective of a parent. And I really admire and appreciate all the teachers that are struggling to make the best of what is not an easy situation for anyone. What grades do you teach? 10th grade and 12th grade currently. Tell me a little bit about what you enjoy teaching. The most bizarre thing was that we were just wrapping up The Handmaid's Tale when the world fell apart. And so we were in the middle of this total nightmare dystopia and just about to read the end part where you realize that things get better eventually. And then I should never see my students again. I really love that book and enjoy teaching it under normal circumstances, but I think we'll probably shelve it for a few years given the state of the world. I feel like we've been playing the what dystopian novel am I in game for too long and how ironic that you were in the middle of one. Here school closed very abruptly. Was it like that there as well? It was very abrupt, but it was it also happened in New York much later than in other places. So on the one hand was abrupt, on the other hand took a lot of organizing and lobbying and coalition building to get the schools closed as quickly as they were. Yeah. Well, we are thinking about all the teachers and students right now. You're here. I just can't imagine what it's like right now to have to prepare not only for a school year, but for many different ways that that school year could look. Uh, That must be really hard. I actually just submitted my grades this week for the current Mm -hmm. school year. So looking Mm -hmm. forward is it's a trip. I love that your students have someone who truly loves books teaching them literature. Dinah, how did you choose these books that you chose for your favorites today? I went with books that I read in the past year or so, and ones that left me with a very strong feeling or or that I think about often after reading them. Ooh, I like it. So tell me about book one. Exhalation by Ted Chang. It's a book of short stories. I believe it's his most recent, and they're just fantastic. They're so good. What is it about them for you? 
So he writes science fiction. I think that probably the story he's most famous for is the one that became the movie Arrival with Amy Adams, mm-hmm. which is pretty typical of his work. It's not science fiction that's super thriller, plot-driven, super high-octane, but he just sort of drops you in these different worlds that are, are really f- fully realized, and uh, his writing is so beautiful. What led you to his work? Do you remember? I think I picked up a collection of his stories after seeing the movie Arrival and loving it. And uh-huh. I mean, there's there's nothing better than consuming whatever piece of media it is and realizing, oh, there's more from this person. This person who <laughs> just made something great has also made all this other great stuff. Yeah, that is the laugh of recognition. I hear you. I've not read that story, but now I'm very interested. And what did you choose for your second book? The second book I chose uh, was Women Talking by Miriam Toes, which I actually found in the comment section of your blog. I'm trying to remember what episode. I don't know, but I'm glad you found it. Yeah, I think it was the episode about Canadian authors, maybe. She is a Canadian author. That would make sense. Yeah. We've had several episodes that have been focused on Canadian literature, which has been wonderful. It was like a like a sub-comment on a sub-comment. So I'm thrilled that I found it because I think about this book absolutely all the time. It is set in a fictionalized Mennonite community in Bolivia, which is like no, no combination of those words is anywhere within my experience. And yet the story was so recognizable. The book starts in the wake of a community experiencing a series of, of traumas and the women in the community get together and kind of have to decide how they're going to deal with everything that's happening. And it's just an incredible book. I read this book and I did not remember a bit about it being set in Bolivia. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that it comes up very much in the book, but it, I know that it is based on a news clipping and, the, and that the real story happened in Bolivia. Yeah, I was horrified to find out that it was actually based on a true story. I didn't know that when I picked it up. And I mean, not even from that long ago. It happened in the early 2000s. So tell me about your experience reading Women Talking. This book is so interesting because it comes from the perspective of the women in this community who do not know how to read or write English. And so the device that the author uses is bringing in kind of an outcast man from the community who is invited into their meetings that they have, which are otherwise only the women coming to talk about. Essentially, like all of the women in this, or many of the women in this community have been assaulted. And it turns out they've been assaulted by men in the community. And they have to decide, are we going to stay here? Are we going to try and fix things? Or is there no future for us here? Are we going to go? And so these layers, being in the room, watching these women try and have this incredibly difficult conversation, seeing that the story of the man who is trying to faithfully record those conversations, but his presence changes them. And I think especially something that happens over the course of the story, because the women characters are organizing so much of their life around religious belief, is that they start interpreting scripture for themselves for the first time, which was so fascinating to follow along with. It has this subdued kind of power. I completely agree. I haven't read anything else by Miriam Taze. Not yet. I've been meaning to for a long time, but have you? Are you familiar with her voice? I actually haven't read anything else by her either. I think I started a book and and it was the wrong book at that moment. And so I put Uh it back down. But she is a prolific writer. So I hope that feels good to have many novels uh, by a novelist you've enjoyed to look forward to. Dinah, what did you choose to round out your favorites list? The third book on my favorites list is Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which I, I know has been talked about many times on your show. I, it's been mentioned, but no one has chosen this as a favorite before. Really? It's all yours. Okay, awesome. It's narrated by a gay teenager in middle America who is, as of the beginning of the book, not out or only out to a few people. And he has a, a tumbler and a crush and somebody reaching out to him who may also be like the other closeted person in his high school in his town. I'm not making it sound like a peppy, fun teen romance, but it really is. The title makes it sound like a peppy, fun teen romance. And I think it, I think it reads like one, which is why I loved it, because there wasn't such a thing as a peppy, queer teen romance when that was my main reading diet. And now there is, and I'm voraciously catching up on these 
experiences that I'm so overjoyed that exist now. And what I love about an author like Becky Apertali is she can write about these issues that really matter. They go to the core of what it means to be human. And yet it's still so fun to read. I mean, it's about him wanting acceptance from his family, but it's also just he has a crush and he has someone who's crushing on him. And that is what the best teen romances are made of. And it sounds like that's a genre you enjoy. Yeah, it's a pretty, I would say it's like a kind of a limited genre, but it's one that I I really try and keep up with because I I also advise the Queer Straight Alliance at the high school where I teach. I love being able to recommend these books and talk about these books with my students. That's wonderful. They're lucky to have you and to have an adult and a reader in their lives who's looking out for them in this way. And I'm so glad that you enjoy the process so much as well. It's like vicarious joy of getting to read these stories that are finally, finally in print. Okay, Dinah, stepping back and looking at your books, you loved Exhalation, the story collection from Ted Chang, Women Talking by Miriam Taze, and Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Abertz Holly. Now, Emma, let's talk about a book that wasn't for you. What did you choose here? I chose The Girls by Emma Klein. Tell me more about that. I am a notorious book quitter, either if I it's not the right time for that book or if I really have started it and it's just I'm not into it. I often will just let the books expire if I have got checked them out from Libby. But for whatever reason, because this book was talked about and it was on kind of subject matters that I've historically enjoyed that time period, I love that time period. I love stuff like hippies in San Francisco appeals to me. Basically, I just wish I had been alive during that time. That's no surprise to anyone that knows me. And so I just was like, ooh, there's a book and it's supposed to be really shocking and everyone's talking about it. And so I listened to it. I was doing a lot of driving at that time, so I just kept listening to it. And I finished the whole thing because I just kept waiting. I just kept waiting for that thing to happen, you know? Whatever it was that everyone was loving about it, I just was waiting for it to happen. And then the book ended, so. I started that one, too, and put it down 20 pages in. Well, I started that one and put it down because I realized, who do I think I am? I'm not sure that I can actually read this novel because it's a story about a cult and I can be kind of a sensitive soul. But Dinah, I don't know why you put it down. 20 pages in, what happened for you? I think I had a pretty similar feeling to Emma that it didn't feel like there was much happening and what was happening felt familiar. If you've done any sort of a nerdy, obsessive dive into cult world, which I imagine both of us have, then the, I don't know, the, the figure in that book is pretty familiar. And so it didn't, it didn't feel like there was something new and exciting there. If you are a sensitive soul and you want to dip your toe into very not so shocking books about cults, you could probably revisit it and it would be okay for you. <laughs> I've read books on your summer reading guide that I felt were a lot more shocking and books that you've recommended that were a lot more shocking than the girls. That's just my my own personal feeling. Well, thank you for making me not feel like such a scaredy cat. (laughs) Dinah, what book was not right for you? I want to preface my pick by saying I am a huge George Saunders fan, both his stories and him as a human being. By all accounts, he's just an awesome guy. But uh, Lincoln and the Bardot is not for me. Tell me more. I want to come at this from the positive, as is my training. But I feel like what is so wonderful about Saunders is the voice that he's able to capture so quickly and completely in his stories. And he makes a whole world out of uh, his narrators. He does that in the space of a 20 or 30 page story. I think this is his first novel. So it was very exciting when he came out with the novel. But then I I read it and I didn't get more out of a novel than I did out of his stories, which is kind of frustrating. I tried it on paper and I couldn't get through it. And then I listened to the audio and did get through the whole thing. And at the end, just thought, man, I I wish I'd read another 10 stories. Now I'm trying to think of my favorite George Saunders story. It's about people being quietly awful at the workplace. Oh, I think Um, that describes several of them. Yeah. uh, That's the problem. That's the problem. I would recognize it on site. And now maybe I'll have to go pick up my collection. Maybe it really 
is indicative that this book has been loved and hated on the show. He does interesting things. Like this is, it's been described as experimental. I feel pretentious throwing that word around. Can you tell? I mean, this is a very unusual book. Uh, I think you could call it experimental. Readers have loved it. They've hated it. They've just not quite gotten it. And he's got to be still writing, right? Isn't it about time for a new George Saunders? It feels, I feel I think ready. We're ready. Yeah. Lincoln and the Bardo came out in 2017. Okay, nerd alert. There was a crossword puzzle clue that I only knew because I'd read this book, Lincoln and the Bardo. It's about one of Lincoln's sons. The answer was Ted. Yeah, but this came out in 2017. So I'm, you know, George Saunders, we love you. We'd love to read some more. Please, we're hungry for it. Okay, so those are the books you didn't like. Now let's talk about what you've been reading lately. Emma, what have you been reading? Basically, I just go on Libby and I set my search filters to available now and then look at any... That's right, every available romance novel. But they have to be rom-coms mostly and mostly they have hand-drawn covers and sometimes they kind of deviate. I've, in the last couple of years, I read a lot of Christina Lauren. I just read... To since COVID, I read both of the bromance ones that are out. By Alyssa K. Adams? Yes. I read one and then discovered that there was another one called Undercover Bromance that was really good. And literally just yesterday, I finally read Aisha at Last, and it was wonderful. That's all I did yesterday was read that. And how was that? You know, I wanted to read it last year because it was on the summer reading guide picks, but it had the like the longest holds ever. And I was like, I, I don't like to do holds that are longer than a couple of weeks because I'm going to be over it by the time they come in. And it was available yesterday and it was amazing. It had so many layers to it. Usually these rom-coms I read don't have as many layers and intricate family histories and things like that. I liked that it was about um, a culture I'm not very familiar with, and yet kind of a little bit felt, it felt familiar at the same time, you know? Well, I'm so glad it was available and that you had a wonderful reading experience. Dinah, what have you been reading? Uh, Right now, I am halfway through The End of Policing by Alex S. Vitale. What inspired you to pick that up? Well, I live in Brooklyn in the summer of 2020, and there is a very lively and vital debate happening right now about the role of police in our community and imagining a a future where our communities are, are safe in some way, shape, or form. And this book is just such a powerful and succinct articulation of what the problem is and a different way that we need to imagine approaching communal safety. Based on the way you've been describing your life and your reading life, I'm imagining that it's pretty familiar for you to be interested in a topic, an issue, to need to look to books to inform your understanding on those topics. Does that ring true? It does ring true, although the reverse is also true. I I also will sometimes happen upon a book that will lead me to a, a new topic for research and learning. Ooh, I like that it goes both ways. All right, Emma and Dinah, now that we've talked about your books, I'm trying to identify, how did you put it? The super rich but small sliver of common interests on the Venn diagram. Have you all thought about how to put that into words, about what kind of books lie in that liminal space? I mean, Sally Rooney, Michael Cunningham, what what are their books? Yeah. Emma, what did you find in Sally Rooney that really made those work for you? It's especially interesting that you preferred a different title by Sally Rooney, each one of you. They were very realistic. They, they could happen to anyone, even though they're in Ireland, which makes it fun for me because I like books at other places and in other circumstances than my own. But anyone could have had the experiences in either of those two books. And they were, they were like pretty easy to read too. Like they were easy to get through. What do you think, Dinah? They really felt like they captured the internal life of a person of a certain age right now. And there were some lines where I just really reflected feelings that I've had that I'd never seen in print before. I remember, I can't remember which of the books it's from, but there was a line about realizing at some point that the people you love may not be remarkable, even though like you, they are remarkable to you because you love them, but it's possible that they're not actually remarkable. 
It just rang so true because I think the people I love are the most incredible people and it wouldn't have occurred to me that perhaps they are just good regular people. And I think it, it is so of, of a moment. Okay. I like the way that you both put that. When it comes to finding books that you'll both enjoy... This seems like a silly question because you might be like, Anne, there's like 240, but what are the big sticking points? Big sticking points. So I'm trying to think of other books that we've really disagreed on. The first one that comes to mind is A Man Called Uva, which to me read a little pat. It felt like I'd, I'd read this character many times before and was not interesting to me. I'm thinking you don't like clever, not that sense of humor. Yeah, that wasn't for me, but I know Emma loved okay. that one. I did. But interestingly, to add to your collection of data, I was really upset when I read Beartown because I felt like nobody had adequately trigger warned me in everything I had read. So that's just also something to keep in mind. And Beartown was sensitive. It was like, oh, it's a book about hockey, but it's not about hockey. And I was like, what happened to the girl? Yeah. And then oh, the obvious sticking point is that under normal circumstances, I do almost all of my reading on Kindle, and Emma does almost all of her reading on audiobook. It may be that the same books are not great in both formats that much of the time. That's an interesting point. Because when Emma was describing her audiobooks, I thought, oh, wait, yeah, I want, I've, I've read that book, but I want to listen to that. And I've read that book, but I want to listen to that. And I haven't read that book, but I have it in hardcover, but I want to listen to that too. So... You all have thought about this a lot. So you know a lot of things about your respective reading lives and where they do and don't overlap. We haven't directly addressed that I'm seeing in Emma's books is that you're good with the messy and the complicated, Emma. Um, but also there's a, an immediacy to the works you've chosen that you really enjoyed that I'm going to be looking for when we look at promising titles for you. Oh, and Dinah, choosing books for an MFA in poetry which means you know how to use words and you can appreciate it when it's done well and you see it when it's not. You love sci-fi. You love YA fiction, especially YA fiction with queer themes. Actually, that's not what you said. You love YA fiction with queer themes. Do you enjoy other kinds of YA fiction? I also read YA sci-fi. So those are my two YA genres. YA sci-fi. Like, tell me about a favorite YA sci-fi novel. I mean, I enjoyed reading the Divergent series, especially when my students read it now and, and we get to uh -huh. talk through the whole thing. It's not YA, but I, I love to recommend Octavia Butler yeah. to my students. I, I would love to teach Kindred. I think it would be amazing. And I think, I think that is not easy, but important and manageable. Kindred deals with some serious, complicated issues, and it feels so immediate. I mean, that's, that's what she does so well. Emma, have you read that book? No, is that one you gave me for my birthday that I never read? No, I think I gave you the Lilith Brood trilogy, which is also incredible. <laughs> which I also have not read, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see how right now, if you're going to Libby looking for every available rom-com, that now might not be the time. But when we talk about what you may enjoy reading next, I'm thinking not just right now, although I've got an idea, but for the longer haul as well, because fingers crossed that we will be in a better place before too long. You are in good company when it comes to seeking out specific things in your books right now, because bibliotherapy is just a beginning to what we need, but it is real. And finding the right book can really be a big comfort right now. I have aspirations <laughs> towards navigating out of my comfort zone, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. I feel like in the last few years, I've really upped my volume of reading per year. And now that reading has become more of a habit, whether it's on audio or it's on paper or on Kindle, like I now have reading into my routine. So it could be a moment to stretch me. Okay. I might take advantage of that. I feel like there's two ways I could go about this. And the path I'm going to take is maybe the less obvious one and recommend books that maybe you wouldn't consider reading together but I'm hopeful that they won't be a total loss for at least one of you. How does that sound? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing darts at the wall here. We'll see. We'll see what we can make happen. Okay. First, I'm not going to bury the lead, but I'm thinking of a book coming out this summer by Melissa Basherdust. 
I think a bookseller blurb on the jacket says like the queer YA fantasy you've been waiting for. And Emma, I think this book has a lot to recommend to you too. I see a lot of similarities between the books that you really enjoyed. Basha Deuce's first book was Girls Made of Snow and Glass. It came out in 2017. And I didn't realize this at the time, but that is a Snow White retelling. Her next one is New This Summer. And her inspiration this time was Persian and Zoroastrian mythology. She said that she'd been wanting to write something related to Sleeping Beauty and was trying to figure out what kind of world she wanted to set it in. After playing around with contemporary settings, she realized like, no, I think what I want to do is take the less obvious roots. Um, she'd read a little about Persian myth and the Shanama, which is a Persian epic about kings, um, some real, some mythological. And so she started thinking about what a Sleeping Beauty story set in ancient Persia might look like. And this is the result. It's called Girl, Serpent, Thorn, which if you did love Girls Made of Snow and Glass, you might have been following Bash Reduced and looking forward to her new book. And for a long time, this was titled something else. The working title was She Was and She Was Not, which is really interesting considering her subject matter. And so over time, as she wrote this, she found ways to weave Sleeping Beauty and other figures from this Persian myth into the story. So I did feature this in the summer reading guide. If it sounds familiar, it might be because you saw it there. But the characters here are dangerous demons, a poisonous girl who's been cursed, a kingdom under threat, and it's all inspired by this ancient Persian story. There's a cursed princess, and she's been living inside the family's palace walls for 18 years. But because she is literally poisonous to the touch because of this curse, she hasn't touched anyone like for as long as she can remember. She has to wear gloves so she can't touch anyone to harm them. So what happens in this story is her twin brother is getting married and they are heirs to the kingdom. So this is a huge deal. With this preparation happening, the palace guards capture a demon who this girl suspects may be able to tell her how she can break the curse and finally become free. But she thinks this demon is going to be all bad. She feels mysteriously drawn to it. And so she's looking for excuses to get together. And she starts to have an interest beyond just breaking her curse. The more answers she finds out about her family history, the more she wonders if she's ever been told the truth at all. And so she sets off on this quest to find her freedom which suddenly is not just about her, but about the fate of her own kingdom as well. Emma, you said that you like novels with depth that feel layered, and there are layers here. And I hope for different reasons, you all both will enjoy digging into them. I have not heard this audiobook narration, but I am hopeful because first of all, the narration for Basher Deuce's first book was fantastic. And that book sold really well. Her publisher wants the new one to do well. They clearly have audiobook fans. They care. They're invested in having this be good and popular. It's also narrated by an actor, um, Nikki Masood, who's known for her work on Homeland and most recently on Emergence and Love in New York. So she has not narrated an audiobook before, but she is not unfamiliar to the stage. So I am hopeful that she's going to deliver on the story because it's a great story and I think surely they have found someone to do it justice. That was Girl Serpent Thorn by Melissa Basherduced. How does that sound? I think you're really onto something. We have both enjoyed fairy tale adaptations in the past. I, mean, I know I loved The Snow Queen. I think, Emma, you love that one too, right? Yes. It sounds incredible. I can't wait to read it. I am glad to hear that. How do you feel about a thriller? Cautiously optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Emma? I occasionally will read a thriller. I read The Silent Patient last year and really liked it. I don't grab them often, but I could be swayed. All right. Here's why we're going with this one. First of all, I don't think you would have picked it up otherwise. And second of all, I think it has things in it to appeal to both of you. Um, so we may have some overlap in a place where we usually don't. This book is by seasoned romance novelist Alyssa Cole. It comes out this September. It's called When No One Is Watching. Emma, have you read Alyssa Cole before? I don't think so. She is prolific. So some series that you may have heard of or that romance readers may have heard of by her are The Loyal League and The Reluctant Royals, which one is historical fiction set during the Civil War era. Her others are contemporary royal romances. They're a lot of fun. 
readers who read her regularly know that she writes open door romance, meaning these are pretty spicy. Oh, I should also tell you that I have not read any of it, but she also writes some sci-fi romance. I don't know if you've ever thought of reading sci-fi romance, Dinah, but this is something that interests Alyssa Cole. She has a new book coming out this September. It's called When No One Is Watching. This is her first thriller. Uh, The publisher describes it as rear window meets get out. I totally get the rear window portion of that having read it. I still haven't uh, psyched myself up to watch Get Out, but this will never be mistaken for a rom-com. So that's not what we're talking about here. But it does have uh, romantic relationship elements in it that are familiar to you, Emma, and I think might be fun. This story is set in Brooklyn, and it's a thriller. That's the point. This isn't a thinly veiled message, but she's taking on the issue of gentrification. And she's doing it in a really interesting way. This story centers a 30-year-old Black woman who's Brooklyn born and raised. She's just been through an awful breakup and come to move back home. And when she gets home, she's really disappointed to see how the neighborhood that she's grown up in, that her, her mom has lived in her entire life, is changing rapidly. The old buildings are turning over to become condos. Um, The old residents that she's known forever who watched her grow up are selling out. And they're not just moving. It seems like they're disappearing and she can't find them again. The book has a really immediate feel to it. The first line is, history is wild. Although there's an expletive in there. So in part of the book, Sydney, that's the protagonist, is digging into her neighborhood's history. She's always been very familiar with it, but she's learning more and more. And the reason is she's just horrified at these home tours celebrating the white tenants who lived a few decades ago in the neighborhood are being celebrated on these home tours and their homes are being showed off the ones they used to live in. And she's like, um, hello, don't you know the history around here? It was really important and it matters. And the woman leading the tour that Sydney's on and complains, start your own tour. And she's like, you know what? I'll do that. So as a result, she starts digging into the history and she acquires a sidekick to dig into the history with her, who happens to be a very attractive white guy named Theo, who also doesn't have a job right now and decides, sure, I'll help out my sexy neighbor. He just wants to spend some time with her, but is really surprised at what he finds out. And what they find out together is that all these old black residents beloved by the community for so long, like pillars in their neighborhoods that are selling out to the condo developers and disappearing. They're not just choosing to leave. Something really sinister is going on. Through her protagonist, Alyssa Cole, is going to um, get to the bottom of it. That's when no one is watching. It comes out this September. How does that sound to you? I'm a sucker for a New York story, so you got me. I should have just stopped at Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a good pick for both of us for different reasons. I have not read the audiobook. It is going to be narrated by Susan Dalian and Jay Asang. I do know that Alyssa Cole's audiobooks consistently get freaking amazing reviews on Audible. Consistently great. People love her in that format. And for her step out into a new genre, I would expect no less. So I am cautiously optimistic. Sounds fascinating. Yeah, it sounds good. Given the times, can we do a book that's not available on audiobook? Yes. Okay. Emma, I like that you're the one who answered. I was asking you. Based on what you said about both loving books that are realistic, Dinah, you said what you really loved about Sally Rooney is that she captured the internal life of a person of a certain age right now. If I can go to a person in a certain age and a certain place, a certain experience right now, the book I really love for you is Disoriental by Nagar Javadi. Is this one you're familiar with? Oh. Okay. No. I actually thought this was a memoir for a long time. The voice was so authentic to me and the story. This is a book in translation. So all you reading challenge participants, this was translated from the original French by Tina Cover. It just came out as a Europa edition in the United States just in the last year or two. This is a really interesting book. Our narrator is narrating the story from Paris, but she grew up in Iran. So we have a family saga a coming-of-age story, but it's intermixed with a lot of Iranian history. In the book, our protagonist's parents, her, her name is Kimya. Her parents were dissidents. Her father was a journalist, and he got in trouble for reporting by the Iranian government. And so her family emigrated from Iran to France when she was just 10 years old. And they landed in Europe. And her voice is so interesting. It's almost like she gets lost in her own memories as she's telling you what happened then And then she 
comes awake to her present and tells you where she is now, where she'll say things like, oh, dear reader, like, don't let me get out of myself. You're probably jumping to conclusions. Hang on, hang on. And that's just kind of a fun voice. So this tracks her coming of age in Europe, but with her Iranian family history being ever present. And much of the narrative here is centering on her slow realization that she loves women, which is like tomboy is a concept that is just not known. It doesn't compute in her home country. And that's something she explores at length. I might be wrong. It's been a long time since I've interacted with 10th graders about their reading level. I don't see this being a book that would be easily accessible to a 10th grader, but I might be wrong. And Diana, I'm certainly interested in hearing, but I do think about your students there. The voice is so interesting and the sophisticated layering of her very personal story upon all kinds of very real current political and cultural events, I think could be really interesting to both of you. And then the style, for someone who pays attention to words and word usage, Javadi is a screenwriter and her style is very cinematic and with a combination of politics and personal history and then these almost legends about her uncles. She has stories about every uncle who she calls uncles number one, uncle number two, uncle number three. I think this could be a winner for both of you. What do you think? Sounds incredible. It sounds good. My hesitation was it sounds a little challenging. (laughs) Sometimes I find books and translation are challenging for me. It's just my own, it's my own readerly limitations. If that's a concern, it's not one I would recommend picking up when you're already nodding off to go to sleep. I hope if you did branch out that you would find the challenge rewarding. But Emma, I have one just for you. And maybe it'll sound interesting to you as well, Dinah, but this is squarely in Emma's wheelhouse. After just loving all the rom-coms, including Aisha at last, if you haven't read Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev or the previous book, Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors, I think it might be really fun for you. It is a loose retelling of a literary classic that's Jane Austen's Persuasion, but our protagonist is a Bay Area chef who is so desperate to save her family's failing restaurant that she agrees to go on a reality TV show. And of course, you know, her first love is there and barks fly all over again. And I mean, there's some heavy stuff there and some family trauma and it's not, it's not all like cupcakes and unicorns, but there's a lot of fun in the pages of this book. Second chance is true love. I mean, come on. I like that. You don't know this, but I really like Jane Austen retellings and um, books about Jane Austen lovers. I am happy to hear that. Okay, so of the books we talked about today, we talked about Girl Serpent Thorn by Melissa Basherdust, When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole, Disoriental by Negar Javadi, And finally, we slid in Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev. All right, Emma and Dinah, any chance of those sliding in to the little sliver of space in the Venn diagram? I think Girl Serpent Thorn might be the special, special book. I think they all have potential to find the little sliver of the Venn diagram. It's just we have to choose which one we're going to read first. Well, I can't wait to hear what you read next and what you both think. And remember, you don't have to love it to report back and have a good conversation about books. We know that one very well. (laughs) (laughs) Emma and Dinah, thank you so much for talking books with me today. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Anne. Thank you so much for having us. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Emma and Dinah, and I'd love to hear what you think they should read next. That page is at what should I read next podcast.com slash 247. And it's where you will find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, in addition to the podcast, each week we send an email newsletter where we share links to all things books and reading in the same format as the show. Three things I love, one thing I don't, and many of your favorite section, what I'm reading now. Subscribe to our newsletter at what should I read next podcast.com slash newsletter to get an added dose of readerly delight. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That's Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. Find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love if you shared it with a friend, left a review on Apple Podcasts, or checked out my books. Don't overthink it as my newest release, oddly prescient for these times we're in right now, or my book for book lovers I'd rather be reading the delights and dilemmas of the reading life. Pick up a copy for yourself or a friend. We hope you love it and know that I appreciate it. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekachek. 
Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher, and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story, so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app, and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.